Welcome to the Board Gamers Anonymous Podcast, Episode 2, August 30th. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This week, we're looking at Crossmaster Arena, the recently released miniature combat game from Japanime Games. We're also talking about Chronicle, the first game from love letter creator Seiji Kanai, as well as Dixit and others. Plus, Chris wins big at the Ticket to Ride tournament. This is Anthony. Hi, I'm Chris. This is Kim. And this is Dan. All right, guys, uh, welcome to the show. This is our second episode, so obviously we were not completely turned off by the first one, and hopefully you were not either. Um, uh, we're going to start off this week, as I mentioned in the introduction, Chris won a tournament this weekend uh, at the Great Ticket to Ride. I'm sure you've all played. Yes, at our local and fun and friendly game store, Mirror Games, on Staten Island, New York. Uh, yeah, we do a monthly tournament. Um, this month's game was Ticket to Ride. And um, unlike the past uh, three tournaments, which were Love Letter, King of Tokyo, and Dixit, I don't own Ticket to Ride. I've barely played Ticket to Ride. So that gave me the competitive edge. That is That is, does seem to be how it works. Uh, I've done very well in these tournaments, and I don't own any of the games. So, <laughs> so we all really are angry at Anthony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The last one, Dixit, I had not actually played before. So... I mean, and, he, and he won first place yeah. on the Dixit game. I kind of own Dixit and all its expansions, which did not help at all. But if you ever play Dixit, you understand why that doesn't help at all. No. <laughs> so it's kind of like he was a karate kid of Dixit. Yeah. You, <laughs> you got crane kicked. That's right. I should have noticed that during the game when he stood on the table with his leg up in the air. Hey, what's going on, man? <laughs> I have a secret. <laughs> yeah, so not the humble brag, but... But this this last week, Chris, he did he did tick the crown on Ticket to Ride, um, and if if you're wondering how a Ticket to Ride tournament goes, it was just three games because that game can go long, and that would not have worked. Sure. So. And we always have a you know chaotic neutral picking the uh, rules out and yeah. the scoring options, so you never know when you go into a tournament exactly what's going to let you win or lose so we actually did something pretty novel it was if you won the game you got to go on to the next round yeah um, previous yeah. games were kind of picked out of a hat how you won or lost yeah i mean i think most of them were i don't i don't remember what king of tokyo was but i know dixit was that was a random scoring yeah that was... and it benefited me greatly but it hurt some people <laughs> greatly <laughs> so yeah i won two out of the three games for dixit and didn't make it to the final round i got i got second in the third round I'm like oh in the finals no not so much yeah i mean if you've played dixit you know that you know once someone finishes everybody finishes until they've had their last turn so technically you can get more than 30 points and that is how people reach the finals it's racking up like 40 points i think which i don't know and i, and I guess our listeners will correct us i don't know if that's actually the way the game ends i think you hit whoever hits 30 first just that's how the game ends yeah, there was some conversation before the tournament about which way it was supposed to go. It worked to my benefit, so I'm not complaining. No, you won it. That was great. And and I think best of all, our friend Earl, who did not want to play at all at Dixit and wanted no. to play Agricola quite badly, um, 
uh, was dragged into the tournament and ended up having to play the final game. So we all got to laugh as he was struggling, suffering through Dixit. And uh, what did he come in? Second, third place? Second. Yeah. Second place. So, you know, then we got to bother him about winning the prize. So good times were had everywhere. Yeah. It's like, I hate this game. Then stop winning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, tournaments, fun times. If you're uh, on Staten Island, we have these once a month. And when we know when the next one is, we will tell you. Yeah, usually they're at the, uh, the last Sunday of the month. Um, they're open to everybody, so feel free to drop down. Um, we'll definitely teach you how to play the games. I think we're looking at Seven Wonders for the next tournament. Yeah, that should be fun. It's a $5 entry fee. So. Yeah, and Seven Wonders is a good game, so we'll get a lot of people to play, hopefully. Yeah, Seven Wonders is one of my favorites, because I have no idea what I'm doing in that game, and the last three games I played, I came in either first or second place. (laughs) So I I feel like that newbie beginner luck is the way to go. I don't plan out on trying to get any type of victory. I'm just like, oh, this thing looks good. Let me get these resources. Let me build up this army. Next thing I know, at the end of the game, I have 71 points. Everyone else around me has like 40. So that's always pretty good. So you're going to be that guy next time. Yeah, I'm hoping so. (laughs) We can just rotate amongst us. So, and being that I own um, Seven Wonders and all the expansions, I will definitely not make the last table again. It's not going to go well for you. If if you're lucky, you might get the the Dan Simmons prize, which is you come in exactly one place under what you need to go into the finals. (laughs) I did that every tournament before that. So I was like, always like, oh, we take the top four. You're number five! Again and again and again. Despite winning, I won Love Letter a couple of games too, but I didn't make that time. Yeah, that one was a tough one, though. That, yeah. was, that seemed like random luck. It's Love Letter. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. What's really bad about that is if you lose a game, it's in your head until the day you die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, we don't have a lot of news... But we wanted to start talking about some uh, new Kickstarter games um, as kind of a new segment on the show, which I guess will kind of roll into the news because Kickstarters are timely. They're short. Uh, usually it's 30, 60 days. Yeah. And if you're if you're getting into board games or if you're a longtime fan, Kickstarter is really the new wave. Um, you're seeing more and more games showing up at Kickstarter before they ever show up at a con or at a store. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of nice because generally when you find out about a product, it's usually about like a month or two before the product comes out, and Kickstarter gives you an idea of okay, this is going to be out in six months, and these are going to be like the expansions that are coming out three months spaced apart from the release of that. It gives you like a huge window to find out more about. Yeah, and also um, when you kick, when you help kickstart a game, uh, you usually get like unique dice or like these specialty cards that have different art. Like, it's all different from whatever you get. Yeah, they're stretch goals. So for the same price you would get that game in retail, you're getting either better art, more components, upgraded uh, components, bo- you know, bonus features. So it's a pretty nice deal. But at the same time, you have to really study carefully the different goals because some of those items, if, they're, if they reach their goals, will be in the game when it releases... Some of those things are just Kickstarter-related and won't be in there. So you have to really read through the fine print. That is true. Yeah, and there's the risk factor. I mean, there's that paragraph at the bottom of every Kickstarter, you know, and not even all games, but literally every Kickstarter. It basically says, you know, you're investing, you're putting your money here at your own risk, you can't guarantee delivery, and sometimes it doesn't work out. So um, if you're following, I think it was maybe three, four months ago, they started to fall apart, but I think the Kickstarter ended last fall. Um, the Doom that came to Atlantic City. And this was a Kickstarter. The guy raised, I don't know, like $120,000. It was some ridiculous amount of money. Uh, it's a Cthulhu board game, so 
people came out of the woodwork for it. And it looked good. I mean, it looked like a solid game, but the guy, I don't know if he just didn't have enough business sense or if he didn't know um, what to do or if he literally just mishandled the money, which it sounds like might have been part of it. Um, but the money was gone, and he kind of popped on there, I think, in June and said, you know, we don't have any money anymore, so... Yeah, and the thing about Kickstarter, if you've never been on, if you've never been on the uh, web page, is um, it's basically crowdsource funding. So originally, the idea was created to, if you had a project, if you had a um, something you wanted to create, something you wanted to build, something you wanted to sell as a product, a dance performance, theater, something for the community, people would be able to donate to the project. Kickstarter would take a small portion of that, and it would allow things that would normally not get be able to get funded to be funded and, and provided to the public. So um, there have been those, talk, those those small projects, but this was obviously a very big one that failed, yeah. and mostly because he just re- literally took the money and ran or moved. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one thing too. It's The one suggestion I'll give everyone is if you're going to back a project, like I just backed my first project, Magnum Opus, today actually, and uh, by the time you guys hear this, that Kickstarter will be over. It's got about 80 <laughs> minutes left. But basically, it's um, it's powered by Game Salute, and all the Game Salute backings have followed through on production on every call. You should definitely look into the developer and the publisher on the project, see if they have any other successful Kickstarters, or if they have a series of failed Kickstarters, see what their involvement with the community is. Because if you see a project that looks amazing, and you never heard of this person before, and there's tens of thousands of backers... It could be a crapshoot. You, you can't guarantee that you'll see that project. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you get lucky. Um, you know, like we talked about Boss Monster last week, and that was just two guys, brothers, who put a game together, and they produced it, and it did very well. It was only a little late, I think. Um, game's great. Good reviews. And then you have uh, the Doom that came to Atlantic City, who uh, it uh, basically crashed and burned. And, you know, people who wanted to see that game produced are going to get to see it eventually. Cryptozoic picked it up, but um, I'm not sure what's happening for the backers, if they're getting their money back, or if they're getting copies, or if it's just, hey, the game's going to exist, but, you know, you're out of luck if you helped us get it together. Yeah, there's been some rumors and some information coming out that Cryptozoic may (coughs) provide a copy for the backers, but I don't believe it's with all the special stretch goals, so... Mm. Yeah. everyone's kind of winning unfortunately the person's probably biggest the biggest winner is the one who just literally stole that game away and took those people's money yeah yeah i don't know what kind of legal recourse they have but i don't know it'll be a mess for a while yes yeah. i mean uh, and with cryptozoic i'm sorry cryptozoic picking that game up um a lot of the games like you know isn't huge hits like people kind of sometimes turned off by the art or whatnot but after hearing that, I you know I was like I think I might want to pick up a Cryptozoic game, show some support for the company that, you know even if they're not top sellers, they're not f- the fantasy flight or, you know selling their millionth copy of a game. They do care about the community, which is always a nice push from any developer. Yeah, they're not just about the money. Well, they might be just about money. Who knows how many people want to buy that? You know <laughs> that is true. So yeah, definitely check out Kickstarter. Um, once again, um, be careful. Yeah. Especially for your money, but um, also for your sanity. Because you will look at a game, and um, we'll be talking about a game a little bit later that was kickstarted, where you could pick up the base set, and or you can pick up an expansion. So that seems good. 
oh, it's only another $10. And, oh, there'll be another expansion. That'd be another $10. Oh, it comes with this, this really cool object. Oh, that's great. It's another $10. The next thing you know, it's you're paying $500 for a Kickstarter game that you've never actually seen in person. You're wondering why your credit card is maxed at the end of the month, and yet you own nothing physically to show for it. Yeah, and you just emptied your game budget for six months, and you won't see that game for eight months. So, And then, so, and then obviously, so... If unless there's a Kickstarter goal that you really want that's only going to be exclusive to Kickstarter, you might be better off waiting till the game comes to the store or goes online because otherwise you're paying for something you really don't have to unless you're really trying to support the creator into getting that game out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I backed one in June, um, Canterbury, and it's I think they're shipping in a month. Like, it's it's they're loading it on the boats right now, so it's done. The guy's done. But I played it at the store, um, the creator, Andrew Parks, showed up at the store for a grand opening at Myriad, and uh, he demoed it. So I played it, I liked it, I knew I liked it, and his funding was like, you know, I think he barely made it, maybe a couple thousand dollars over the goal. So I felt like I was helping him get the game out there, and I wanted to see it. So that was a special circumstance for me. Um, but that was, you know, three months ago, so I'm still waiting to see the game. I know it's coming, but, you know, two months ago it could have been a crapshoot. I backed uh, Coup, which was a small... A small um kind of bluffing game it was from the creators of avalon and the resistance mm. really nice artwork small card game kind of following on the heels of love letter with those kind of micro games um it was only 15 dollars, <laughs> but they raised i think over two hundred thousand dollars for that game and it was just it was really a lot of fun to be part of how they were just hitting different stretch goals time and time again and the components were just getting better um so i'm hoping to see that soon and i actually also um backed Small World 2, um, which originally Days of Wonder came out with a Kickstarter for that, and the way they had structured it was quite bad, and people still were backing it, but Days of Wonder, being the, the great company they are, decided to pull it down and then, re and then relaunch it with better stretch goals. Um, so, the, so the game itself was to, re to release Small World 2 for... Um, you know, the iPhone and all the other kind of phones and apps. And um, so everyone who already has a copy of Small World will get the um, Small World 2 for free. Um, so it's, it's, if, you don't, if, you, if you haven't picked up Small World for your phone or your pad, it's a really good idea to pick it up now because it's cheaper than if you had to pick up Small World 2 later. But they also were offering um, new races, new powers, and they offer, or, also offered a collector's edition which I ordered, and it, at a pretty big discount. So I'm looking forward to seeing that too. Yeah, and uh, my favorite thing about you guys ordering these games is I don't have to shell out the bucks for them. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was really, really pushing for you guys to look at that magnum opus a little more. <laughs> but, come on, come on. but when I didn't see anyone reaching for their phones, I decided uh, it's like, my turn. Ah, I make me pay for it. <laughs> so yeah, um, so we're going to try to keep an eye, you know, talk about more Kickstarters, hopefully more than 80 minutes before they finish up. Yeah. So you can actually... Uh, back them and if there's anything out there you guys you know are interested in just pop us an email too and you know we'll take a look at it talk about it a little bit see if you know watch the videos for you and tell you what we think and now it's time for acquisition disorder corner what's got our eyes this week guys the pathfinder card building games is supposed to come out rise of the rune lords i believe is a certain yeah. title that should be coming out within about a week <clears> or two and that is something i'm definitely <throat> looking forward to uh, I'm not really familiar with the Pathfinder system, but I know it's close to D&D 3.5. Mm -hmm. That's good enough for me. Yeah. I'll figure it out from there. 
Yeah, it looks like some kind of a you know RPG deck building hybrid. You know, they have the stats on the cards, and somehow it's working. We saw some of the demos at um, uh, at Myriad because Paul got some in. Yeah, they so. definitely looked. It looks like a very interesting game. It looks like something you gotta sit down for a little while though to learn all the intricacies. Yeah, yeah, but I think we both saw it immediately. They're like, need yes. now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so that's that's the hot new deck builder. Uh, I know it sold out at Gen Con very quickly, so uh, the people who are not there or who didn't get it quickly enough are definitely excited about it. And uh, one other thing that I got my eye on is on uh, at Plaid Hat Games, they have the dice for each of the Summoner Wars factions. And uh, Anthony is the one that brought this to my attention. Sorry. Yeah, and uh, they're roughly six ninety five or seven ninety five, I believe, for a set of five dice for each faction, or. For about $22, you can get one dice of every faction. And that looks like something I might do, just to have that that little unique one that stands out when playing that yeah. side. Yeah. If you've played the uh, the app on the um, iPad, it's, you know how the, like when you roll a six, the symbol pops up? It's the same thing. You, those are the dice you're getting. Yeah. And what's nice, though, is they have, um, it's by Chessex. It has, like, that same marble Ooh, finish nice. and everything. So yeah. they, they do look very nice. It gives a nice variety. Like the Phoenix Elves, it's, like, all orange and red and... Swamp Orcs are gray and green, so I do like the color schematics a lot for those dice. And what's the what's the price on those dice? Uh, I think it's either twenty ninety five or twenty one ninety five. It's under twenty two. I remember being able to justify it <laughs> for the one of each. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. You're paying about a dollar a die, which you know. Because <laughs> they're special, that, though. Yeah, that happens with a lot of games. They re-release better components for games, especially dice. I know I was looking at Kingsburg, and they were twelve dollars a set of dice in the store $9 online and basically if I wanted to buy the five sets of dice it was going to cost almost yeah. as much as Kingsburg yeah. or actually more than Kingsburg oh, God. so you know it's like yeah these dice are great and it just made the game cost double <laughs> yeah Ooh. yeah uh, the game, companies will get you with that stuff or somebody else will just come out with it, like those D&D deeples. Yeah, yeah, I actually um, I put away a few bucks on the last paycheck to get those D&D deeples soon. They look just too good, and we've been playing more and more Lords of Waterdeep with that expansion now. Yeah. So, so like, it's kind of worth the price. I need them. Plus, one other thing is the uh, one of the components <clears throat> in the Scoundrels at Skullport is the corruption markers are shaped like skulls. Yeah. They're not just blue cubes. So it's silly to not have other shaped cubes to go with the game. I mean, it's, it makes those stand out. You feel like you, you got something wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's thematically, it's just broken now. Pretty <laughs> so much. I mean, the game is incomplete. I'm really ruining the experience for everyone if I don't get the Dean Teeples, is how I feel. And, you know, I, I like to be so. a generous host. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, um, what's another game? So, Castellan, that's the new, and I don't know if I'm saying that right at all, so if I'm not, you know, let me know. But, um, it's the new Steve Jackson game, and it's been on the counter at Myriad for like a week now. Yeah, Paul opened it up, thankfully. And uh, if you, as a kid, if you ever played Dots, where you took the piece of paper and you just you just made a box of different dots, and then you and your friend went um, and connected lines until you made boxes, and then whoever closed the box got that got that section. That's basically what we're looking here. But the components are wonderful. They're really high quality um, um, gray walls, and then you have little kind of towers red or blue towers to go in between to, you know, call that your section. Mm-hmm. Um, plays pretty quickly, about a half hour, 45 minutes, and uh, definitely looking to pick that up. Um, what's odd about it is the red and blue set, 
um, it's only two players. But if you pick up the same set in green and yellow, now you have the different color tokens to play f- up to four players. Yeah, yeah, they, they they realized that more than two people would want to play, and so but you have to buy two sets. So, you know. yeah. uh, the castle that you build with this is it big enough that you can lay siege to it with the D and D miniatures? <laughs> <laughs> it could fit some D and D deeples on there. Okay, so that's, that's not too bad. It's I'm sensing a video in the near future. Right? <laughs> Well, we try to do, uh, one of the fun things we try to do at the Staten Island Board Gamers is, um, or especially our friend Drew, tries to do mashup of games. Oh, so, so, I, so I can see that happening in the yeah. future. Yeah, Castellan Risk. Castellan Risk. Everything's Risk. Riskalon. Riskalon. Risk. <laughs> well, he did have the, what was it, the uh, Ticket to Ride Risk? Yeah, Risk really? It to Ride. Yes. Risk It to Ride? Yes. I did not see that. And our, our friend Iggy, who loved Ticket to Ride, um, drew kind of drew him in with that, and then now Iggy does not want to play Risk ever, ever <laughs> again. I'm still working on my Battle Love Galacta Letter. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate hybrid game. That's fantastic. Um, so next on the list, we have Attack Wing, which we mentioned last week, but it came in in between the recordings, so we've seen it. It's been played. Yeah, Star Trek Attack Wings. So um, just it just showed up to Myriad right after Gen Con. And uh, the, the base set comes with three ships. So you have, obviously, the Enterprise, and we're looking at the next generation Enterprise comes with the set. And then you're looking at a Klingon battlecruiser and a Romulan battlecruiser. So right out of the box, you can play with three players, which is, I think, so a little that... bit better than X-Wing. Yeah, I dig it. I mean, it makes sense, too, because, I mean, Star Wars, it's hard to... There's two factions. Yeah. That's just that's the theme. Splitting it up in three or four, it's doable. You've seen people do it, but it's it's not natural. Yeah. Um, Star Trek, you immediately have those three. So. Yeah, and the uh, the quality of the miniatures, the detail at least, is not as high as X-wing. Mm. Um, the paint jobs are a little odd, hit and miss. Um, they also released a number of the a number of the expansion ships. So. You can have um, three ships for each side, which is pretty nice. And we'll actually have an unboxing video on our YouTube channel, so you can check that out where we show the um, what comes in the base set. Do you know um, the publisher on that game? I think also it, was, it would be the... Uh, is, it, uh, is it Fantasy Flight? I felt like it was a different Yeah, I think it's somebody else. Was it WizKids? Because, uh, could be WizKids, because I know Fantasy Flight... They just go all out with their miniature detail. Yeah, and yeah stuff. it's with kids. Yeah, I know because Fantasy Flight, <laughs> yeah. um, they owned this the setup, which which you know, I think they was it was purchased by WizKids because WizKids produces at least right now all the different Star Trek games. Yeah. So you're looking at Star Trek um, Fleet Captains, um, and now obviously you're looking at Attack Wing. Yeah. yeah. When I looked at the uh, the Enterprise miniature, it kind of reminded me of how the Hero Clicks are painted, where it's good. But when you look really close, you do see like a couple of minute details missing or yeah. not so spot on. Yeah, whereas Fantasy Flight really knocks it out of the park with X-Wing. Those look great. Yeah, I mean, the X-Wing models, you can just not play and just put them on your mantle, yeah. and they look amazing. Now, there's supposed to be some grand tournament ongoing campaign that's supposed to be in the Deep Space Nine universe, ending with winning a Deep Space Nine miniature that's supposed to be about a foot long that could be played in the game. Um, you'll have to check with your local game store to see if they're participating in that. Um, but really a nice prize, really a good way to kind of get things started. Um, I'm glad that um, WizKids has been putting out Star Trek um, materials, but it, as Dan says, it hasn't been up to the quality of Fantasy Flight, and that's kind of sad to say. Yeah, I mean, it's the same system-ish. Is it the same system? It's, it's the same exactly system the same? with... It's got a, a couple different perks to it, so... Um, you, you're you able to add a captain, you're able to add a crew, 
I know you can do some of that with X-Wing, but this is a little more detailed. You're basically fighting battleships instead of, like, small fighters. So it's a much longer battle. Mm. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to play it either way. I mean, I like X-Wing, so... And yeah. Star Trek. And once again, another wrong. dangerous acquisition <laughs> disorder you could have by just be like, hey, I got one, now I need everything. <laughs> yeah, once I can have uh, Picard versus the Borg, that's when you can count me in. The Borg, yeah, they'll have the one ship. Yeah, that's all you Take need. up half the table. <laughs> and if it doesn't win every game, I'm going to view that game as uh, not being historically <laughs> accurate. <Yeah. laughs> and incredibly broken. Hey, Dan, where, 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 where's, your, where's your miniatures? Oh, here it is. Boom. <laughs> is it a suitcase? <laughs> <laughs> it is the suitcase. It's just a big, black, big block, box just dropping on the table. The Borg win! <laughs> you destroyed my miniatures! That's what the Borg do! <laughs> What's the attack on that? One higher than your armor, and its defense is two stronger than your best weapon. Oh, that sounds fair. And it's a huge cube. <laughs> yeah. It's thematic. <laughs> All right. So, Attack Wing. Uh, that's one of us, I'm sure, will have it soon. Um, uh, the other game on our acquisition disorder this week is, I believe Dan and Kim have this already, Puppet Wars Unstitched. Um, um, yeah. They've been glowing. Kim's oh. been glowing. Oh, God. I've been glowing. <laughs> oh. Only because of my tiny hands. My tiny fingers. Your tiny glued fingers? My tiny glued fingers. Because... The si- it, it would be the size smaller than a thumbtack, some pieces. And just, like, I had to do a sheriff's badge on uh, the waist of some guy, and he was, like, kind of leaned over. So getting that in there it was just rough. Yeah, this but... thing was like if somebody cut a grain of rice in half. <laughs> I didn't even see it on the sprues. Um, yeah, because we realized recently, like, uh, we haven't really played any big miniature battle games. Like War Machine, Warhammer, all these games are really huge now. And we don't have anything like that amongst our group. So we figured Malifaux has a lot of fancy-based, which follows the theme of a lot of our deck builders and other board games. So we picked it up to see what it would be like, and on the back it shows these beautiful detailed miniatures. And you open it up and there's uh, plastic sheets, because everything's on sprues, which we never dealt with in the past. So that was a fun learning curve, to put 44 miniatures together. And they had a map. A map of what to put in... What it was is they'll show a figure. They don't show you it completely done, which throws us off, because we'll be gluing in. It's like, is this what it's supposed to look like? I think so. There's a little bit spacing, but oh well, we'll just prime that. But it shows you how to do it. Not very well, but I guess you just use your imagination, because they're puppets. They're supposed to look like they're just stitched together. Yeah, for a first-time miniature assembly, it was it was a little rough for us, but we were able to weather the storm, so if we were able to do it, I imagine anyone can do it. <laughs> but yeah. You guys have a video coming soon, right? Yeah, we're going to have an unboxing and assembly video shortly. So check out our YouTube page for that as well. Yes, YouTube. Um, I'll have the address for you soon, because <laughs> I don't remember what it is. Um, so that was be all of our acquisition disorders this week, right? Anything else, guys? Uh, that's pretty much it for me. Can I just say, um, I know I didn't put any input for the acquisition disorder because I've been tied up with Saints Row 4. <laughs> I've just been playing video games all day and, and I just have to note, like a lot of people who play board games also do play video games. Uh, the new Saints no, Row. That's no, not that's not true. <laughs> that's not true at all. <laughs> they why lied you, to me. Why would you tell people that? This podcast is for board it's, games and board games only. It has games in the title. <laughs> I assume. So is it fun? Oh, it is. It's a blast. It's just, it has a storyline, but it's just insane. You fight aliens and you're in this virtual world. It's pretty cool. 
And I just love the fact that you can be the voice of Book of DeWitt or Lady Comstock from Bioshock Infinite. Oh, really? Yes. They have Laura Bailey, uh, who is who also plays Lost and Fullmetal Alchemist, which I love her. So, of course, I had to make a female character with her voice. And she somehow turned out to look like Laura Bailey, only with blue hair. And um, one of the voice options is Nolan North, and it just notes Nolan North. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even like male voice for or anything. They just give him the full credit right out of the gate, which was great. That's fantastic. <laughs> I've never played any of those games, but I, you know, I see dubstep gun, and I'm like, okay, yeah, awesome. yeah. <laughs> you need to see this. They also have a uh, black hole gun. Nice. Which just creates <laughs> black holes, and it's just insane. You can get sucked into it too. Like you'll see, like the graphics getting all wacky. But it's a pretty fun game. Yeah, it's definitely another one of those games that you can just lose hours, days, yeah. weeks, and <laughs> be yeah. locked away because you just spend your entire life. It's like an it's a sandbox game, like a GTA, right? Yes, you yeah. have different side quests. You have a main quest, which I just run through the main quest. Don't bother with that side quest stuff. Yeah, I was, I was playing it so long the other day when uh, I saved. It shows your time played, and I was like, man, we could have done Rune Wars in that time. That's <laughs> <laughs> not good. <laughs> Ah, Rune Wars. Don't bring it up, man. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Rune Wars is another one of those games that we've been playing a lot recently, but unfortunately our current game has been on hold, but uh, it's another game that we're looking to do an in-depth review for soon. Very soon, yeah. I think we're almost close enough. We almost have all the rules down. <laughs> <laughs> so we can play right. <laughs> yeah, after two months we almost have all the rules down. <laughs> but it's a really good game, and uh, yeah, we definitely all play video games, so it's always kind of hard to balance all the time between all the different games. At the table this week. All right, um, so now we're going to talk about the games that hit our table this last week. Uh, some new, some old, some favorites that we brought back out for various reasons. Um, and uh, we'll start off with Neuroshima Hex, which Chris talked about last week, but I got the chance to play over the weekend um, while we were prepping for Ticket to Ride by not playing it and not studying strategy, and not trash-talking with the other players who are studying strategy. Definitely. It's a, it's a fun game, and I was actually able to sit down, Anthony, before the um, tournament, and we had an, a new player with us, a new, a new friend to the um, game store, George, and uh, Paul actually sat in, which is always a lot of fun, because he's usually running the store, but uh, we dragged him over, and uh, he really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I mean, the first game I played, I mean, I'll admit... I you know, I don't care if I lose generally, but I was like the first, I think, four turns. I, you know, you count down from 20 health, right? Yeah. So you start with 20, and then every time you get hit, your base gets hit, um, you lose one. Then it goes down to zero, you lose. Um, or just you get to the end of the game when you run out of tiles and see who has the most health left. They win. And I think after three rounds, I was down by 10. So I was <laughs> like, I'm doing something wrong. Well, it's it's a, it's a challenging game because the board you have your board. On the board map, there's a big hex, and you're just placing little hexes on it. So you're randomly drawing the hexes to place on there. So you might get something good that turn that you can play. You might not get anything really good at that time. So a lot of randomness to that game. And it's really, you know, there's some strategy to it. But it's almost better you just get lucky what you pick up. A little bit, yeah. And it's, you know, with the four-player, it was a really different game. Um, I'm not sure if I like it. Not a different game, but it just felt, you know, the flow is different. It took about twice as long. Sure. Um, yeah, you definitely could overanalyze, you know, where, where you're going to position the pieces. 
usually it's just target the other person's base with your little hex that has mm -hmm. the arrow f facing that. But um, it was good to see the different factions. I liked like that. Yeah, that was fun going through them. Um, I just downloaded the app today. Oh, good. So the free version. It comes with two factions, I think. It does. So, but the AI on there is really random, and most mm. of the time it plays really badly. So your base is just wide open, and they play the hex and throw it on the other side of the board. You're like, why did you do that exactly? Now, just out of curiosity, how many factions are there, and do they play vastly different, or is there just minute changes between them? Oh, was there six? I think there's six. Um, there are expansions. One is the Dancer, and there's a yeah. couple of small, small, tiny expansions. Um, each race has a um, different strength to it. So um, one race, I, I believe we played, um, was heavy melee, so it had to be very close to the other hexes. Um, Anthony played a race. You played the Red Race, right? Red, yeah, the Moloch. Yeah. yeah. They were basically... Um entrench themselves and shoot from distance and you just leave more units on the board like you don't die a lot but so at some point i think i had like eight units out on the board after a round which is pretty rare and then just was like pinging people from across the yeah so other than the fact of like some have some more special tokens where they can attack some have more tokens where they can move pieces as anthony said his was more range mine was more close and then the other expansions have um different tiles that do special moves is the board as big as, like, Small Worlds is? Because you talk about, like, the hex. No, it's a very small board. I mean, it, doesn't, it does um, encourage battle. Mm -hmm. So you can't kind of move your pieces kind of off the side and kind of build up there. Yeah, we, it has, like, you know, it's a very small hex in the middle. I don't know how many squares it is, maybe 30. But there's two borders outside of that. So it's, like, a red one and then a further black one. And we thought playing four that we'd do the full board, but you still do the small one. Um, I don't know what the red border was for. There was some um, optional missions and different yeah, things scenarios. you could do, scenarios you can do. Um, we didn't get to dive into the complete games, so I got to play one quick two-player game, and Anthony got one two-player, and then we all played a four-player game. Mm -hmm. um, so there's actually it turns out there's also a rich history. This game, um, the characters and the races actually are part of a um, Polish RPG game. That's very popular. Nice. And uh, Nero, Niroshima Hex is actually coming out with their three, version 3.0. So there will be up, upgraded components with that as well. Yeah, it's a fun game. Um, I wasn't sure what I thought at first, but it's, you know, it's a lot like, you know, I have a lot of two-player games because my wife and I play at home a lot. So, um, like, I think recently probably the game that it reminds me of the most is the Duke. Um, kind Definitely. Of that you're pulling random tiles and you have to figure out what the best way to do with them. Um, and so I don't know that I would buy it necessarily because I have that, but I would definitely play it. So, which actually brings me to the rating system that we're going to try to use is uh, just so you guys have an idea of what we actually think of the games, even if we sound like we don't like it or do. Um, we're going to try to break it down by own it, play it, dodge it, or burn it. Um, and then at the very top end, if it's a game that we feel you should go buy this exact moment, we'll call it addictive which there are a couple that fit the bill, so <laughs> it'll come up. Um, so in this case, I would say play it. Uh, I don't know that I would buy it, but I would definitely play it again if it came out. Yeah, um, I would I would play it. I wouldn't buy it just because the artwork isn't for me and there really isn't enough to the game other than the random tile pull. So it's something nice to play while you're waiting for other games, but I wouldn't personally spend my money on this. How about um, Kim Dan? Would you guys pick this up? 
hearing about it, it sounds a little bit like Small World, and I've had bad experiences with Small Worlds, <laughs> so I'm probably going to have to say I'm going to dodge this one. Uh, I'd be interested in playing it. I just got one question. Um, when you play it on the iPad or iPhone, I know when I play Summoner Wars, I always feel that when I roll a one when I'm attacking, I'm like, I would never roll a one on that die. <laughs> Do you feel that with the app, like when you get a tile that's bad, you're like, oh, the computer's just sticking it to me, or when you physically play and you actually pick out that bad tile do you feel like well you know that was me choosing that bad luck not like i, I don't know that i've had i mean i know what you're talking about the summer wars you'll get like four ones in a row and you're like there's no way yeah, i mean i've seen it happen in the game with dice like six yeah. times in a row but in yeah. the ipad i'm like you're cheating me <laughs> so you bad random generator you <laughs> well the the uh the game you know the game for the ios is the AI once in a while does a couple of really smart moves, but most of the time it's completely drunk and belligerent and just <laughs> randomly throws tiles down. Um, you do you do have a card at least when you play the game in front of you that shows what tiles you have to pull, and that and not, okay. honestly, this game really needs a bag because you're really keeping yeah. what thirty or so odd it's, kind it's of tiles yeah. right next to a little tiny board. So I don't know why they needed to do just throw them all over the place, but. Um, you know, something to play, but definitely, uh, I guess we, we're just generally not a buy for this. No, no. But if we went to Myriad tomorrow and like, what do you want to do? Two player game? I'd pull it off the shelf. Yeah, sounds good. Play. It's fun. Um, all right. So the other game that we played recently that uh, our friend Andrew brought back from Gen Con is Chronicle, uh, and this is the first game that uh, Seiji Kanai created, the guy behind Love Letter, which everybody's playing fanatically right now, at least at our store. Um, so I think all of us kind of experienced this for the first time last week, so I thought it'd be a good time we can go over it. Um, uh, let's start with Chris. Yeah, um, if you've ever seen the Japanese version of Love Letter, um, the art is extremely similar. It's definitely the same type of artwork. It's a trick-taking game. So if you've ever played um, Hearts or Spades, um, this would be very familiar to you. Um, it does, each card does have a special ability on it, so not only are you following the suit or breaking the suit if you don't have the card, um, that's a little bit of hearts and spades talk, but um, your cards have special abilities. So when you play your card, you're able to play the special ability if you're following a suit. So basically you'll have, you'll have a special objective that comes out before the game starts, and it'll say whoever has the most green cards at the end of the round wins that round and wins a point of fame. So you will try to hopefully play the highest, you know, green card that you have, or I think the number three card makes it now the lowest one wins. But there's a lot of randomness to this game. There are wild cards that are that are in the are in the box. So you can pull a wild card that changes the game. You can pull a card that's evil, and now you can't collect points. So um, it's definitely an interesting game. Very colorful, very light, very quick, but very random too. Yeah, what I like about it is um, each color has the same 10 cards of that that suit, yeah. I guess you can say. So um, there's, even though there's 36 cards in the box, I believe, you'll learn the initial 10 pretty quick after playing a few hands. So you'll start to know and pace out when to play what card. So it, it's, it has a nice feel for that. And what's good is, um, say like everyone's playing red and you don't have any red cards, that's a good chance for you to put down a blue card face down, which won't trigger the card's power. So any of the detrimental cards, where if it's, say, the round is the goal to have the least amount of blue cards, 
gives you a great chance to start burning away those cards and slipping them on your opponents, as opposed to being forced to play bad card after bad card. And uh, the wild cards really do throw some wild surprises in there. Like, one of them just removes every card that was just played from the game. So when you know someone's trying to slam you, you just get rid of all of it. It gets removed from the game. You don't have to worry about it for the rest of the round. It's a pretty fun game. It's you know very interesting and it does play quick. Um, what would we play, like, twice? Yeah, we played about two games. Two yeah. full rounds. Because um, I didn't quite get it the first time. And the second time, I kind of got into it, but... I don't. I, I'm not really a big player of like hearts and like you know solitaire and all that. I felt it was like more of that type of game, like just had to match cards. To me, it felt a little bit like Uno, where like you know you put down the color and you can't play any other color, but you can if you flip it over. So it was like a little confusing. But yeah, I don't know if I'd play it again. It was a little confusing for me. Yeah, it's. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's 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 a mix of a lot of things, and I'm not a huge trick taking fan. Um, I'll play them when they come out, but you know I don't get super excited about them. Um, I think the first time I played it, I was not impressed, but you know I think it was the same kind of thing. I was kind of figuring out the rules. And the second time, maybe had a little more fun, but also I think we've played with a lot of people. Sure. And it sounds like the experience with less people is a little different. Like you get more interaction. Yeah, there's yeah. more rounds more access to the cards like you have a bigger hand so you get to pace yourself a little more because yeah. one of the things is the round ends when somebody's hand is emptied so if you have five cards left those automatically become part of your scoring area mm -hmm. so in a three-player game when you have 11 12 cards it's a little easier to keep pace of who's ditching which cards when they're lowering their hand you're playing six players and everyone only has six cards somebody plays something that gets them discard from their hand another card that reduces from their hand it's going to be over in two rounds, and you'll never see it coming. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's my one critic, my major criticism about the game, at least we played with a large group. It went really too quick. You play maybe three cards from your hand, maybe four if you're lucky, and that round is over. Mm -hmm. And that's not a lot, because you play one card, it goes around, and someone stops it. You play one card, it goes around, and someone stops it. Maybe one more, and then they stop it, and that's, that's it. So you're really not doing a lot other than playing that one card. Yeah, and it felt like the special abilities kind of dictated how each round would go. Like, rarely did a full round go, and the high card of that color won the hand. It was yeah. usually, like, someone flipped it with the three, or someone used a special ability like the king, or, or someone wiped card. it with the dragon. You know, it's not... Which is fine, because if once you learn the strategy, it works great. But, um, I don't know. I don't know if I quite played it enough yet to give a full opinion. At this point, I would say somewhere between play it and dodge it. Uh, probably want to play it again before, I'm sure. Yeah, I think I'm I'm the same way. Um, if I had to, I'd play it again. Again, but there are a lot of better games out there, especially for that short time. So I'd probably dodge it right now. You guys keep taking my answer. So I was gonna say play it, dodge it in between, but now I can't because I feel like I'm just. No, it's a consensus. Okay. It's good. That's probably. Not. <laughs> um, I actually wouldn't mind playing again. I do like a bit of like chaos elements in games. So the variety, I had one hand where I had all six wild cards, one game, <laughs> and you just feel like a king. But um, one thing I will say that's a bonus of the game is it's a $10 price tag, and it's a very small box, so the worst case scenario, if you end up picking it up and you're not super happy with it, it's not like you dropped $50 in six hours yeah. to find out this isn't for you. But yeah, I would say definitely give it a try. Yeah, and it's unique. It's definitely unique if you're looking for a unique trick taker. 
That's a Z-Man game, right? Yeah. Correct. Yep. Okay. All right, guys. Um, what about Dixit? We played this a lot uh, last month because it was our tournament game. And, uh, uh, that, obviously, that's the only time I've ever played it. But Oh, yeah. I, I saw it. Um, it was a friend, Stevie, got it. And uh, when he brought it out, I just like looked at the artwork, and I was like, yeah, i got to play this. Something that looks nice and pretty, like the artwork just really sold me on it. And um, it's a good party game, too. It's a really good game that you get, like, six players, six of your friends, and you can even, like... Well, can you tell us how the game works, Chris? Yeah. Um, Dixit's a really simple game. If you've ever played um, Apples to Apples, basically what you're doing is one person is a storyteller, and they pick a card from their hand, and it has an illustration on it, and... Completely the opposite of Summoner Wars, <laughs> Dixit has some really amazing, beautiful, abstract art that you really want to... Each card, especially especially the, the, the expansion journey, um, the arts, you really want to put a little frame, put it in a frame and put it on the wall. I got a hate man. I got a hate yeah. man. Look, what, look, what you, is this? look, all right, hold on a second. You played once, you won. Don't ever play again, <laughs> sir. You've had enough. All I know is, man, I, I went through all those Dixie cards. I didn't see one Swamp Orb, so I don't know how I, <laughs> how I can say that art is Well, great. it's abstract, some of the art, so you have to look for the Swamp Orb. <laughs> so, so you're telling me the bunny at the gate is really a Swamp Orb? Is that... <laughs> a little bit. So, uh, yeah, so the storyteller will pick a card from their hand, um, not, show it to er- not to show it to anybody, but will say a word, phrase, song, hum, dance, whatever they want to do to give a clue about the card, and then everyone else will take a card in their hand that they feel closely matches that clue, and they'll all mix that into a pile with the storyteller's card. And then when they're face up, um, everyone will pick and hopefully try to pick the storyteller's card. Now, if the storyteller did a good job, um, well, let's say if they did too good of a job and everyone picks it, they don't get any points and everyone else gets points. If the if the storyteller was way too vague and no one picks their card, the storyteller gets no points and everyone else gets points. Um, so what the storyteller wants to do is try to get at least one person to guess their card, and then they will get points, and that person who got it will get points. And it's really simple, and that's pretty much it as far as the gameplay goes. And it helps when you play with uh, close friends. So when you're giving clues, you kind of know what that person's talking about. you know, or Or you can just have something vague as... What Chris did, uh, there was a card of a pregnant woman, and he just said, Kim. And when the cards were laid out, I think Dan knew it immediately. And then what did you say? I was like, uh, this is actually Kim in six months, if we don't go to the drugstore soon. <laughs> I think there was tentacles coming out of the bottom of that. Yeah, which, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm Cthulhu on my father's side. Ah, okay. <laughs> Half Cthulhu? Yeah. But uh, it was it's fun because you... And actually, I think we posted a picture on that on our um, Facebook page that yes. there was a lot of cards. Any of those cards could have been picked for that. And uh, I think Dixit right now, you have Dixit, the original, uh, number two. Um, you have, I believe it's Odyssey, which lets you play up to 12 players, which is great. Um, and then now you have Dixit Journey, which is a completely different artist. And his artwork is really amazing. Yeah. Um, I only played it the one time. Don't rub for, it in. For and the you six games in. So I, I did, I did. So I've I've won the game a couple times. Um, 
But I enjoyed it a lot, actually. It's uh, I think I'm going to pick it up at some point. I think it's a great game. Uh, family over, friends over. It's it's accessible. It's easy. It's quick. It's fun, especially because you're you know people you know. You're kind of trying to guess what they're thinking. Um, you could totally be a jerk with the game and be like, "What we ate for breakfast this morning," <laughs> which thankfully nobody did in the tournament, but they could have. Um, but it doesn't come up a lot, I don't think. And uh, really, it's just. It's kind of fun to try to get inside someone's head and, and guess what they're thinking. I just got to say, Dixit is not a tournament game. Dixit is a game where you want to have fun, not pressured into winning. Like, it's really good that you won. It's just, it seems it's, like it's that... It's okay, Kim. You don't have to say that. <laughs> it's not okay that you won. One time playing? <laughs> I think it's a great tournament game. And if you're having a tournament, you should call me. And I will come to your tournament <laughs> and play Dixit with you. I almost feel like it uh it suffers like um like Pictionary syndrome where if at the end your friend didn't get it you would be like how could you not tell that this is lost in space <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> you actually had that moment with with one of your friends multiple times D&D. multiple times yeah <laughs> all right guys uh, what do you think well for me I, I I own this game and I own all the expansions so it's not just a buy it's completely addictive. If you're looking for a game that you can play with the entire family, or if you're looking for a party game um, that you will kind of, you know, look, you can play again and again, it has great replayability because it's just art. And you, and especially the earlier versions of it, it has more abstract art. So um, people love it, play it everywhere, and it's, it's a good game. But as Kim said, definitely not a tournament game. So this is addictive. Be careful because you're going to want to own all the cards. Yes, this is definitely an addictive game, and Dan knows that as soon as I played it, I was like, can we play again? And can we play against that? And after that, because it's just, it's, the artwork just brings it in, and especially the little meeples of rabbits that you have. Yeah, this is a, it's a, a little bit of an homage to Alice in Wonderland, like you're following the rabbit, the white rabbit down the rabbit hole to this abstract kind of beautiful artwork and the cards are big we should mention that they're very large cards these are not standard playing cards so you really get a good picture there yeah so it is addictive and i would actually like to play it again um yeah i'm gonna say definitely buy it um if you just have like people over for party games it's a nice alternative compared to the usuals it's something different it's very beautiful um you might want to invest in getting an expansion with it because if you play a six-player game, you will see those cards cycle a little more often than you want to. So that'll help break up the you know monotony of oh look, it's the tunnel again. So it's it's a good idea if if you're playing more than three or four players, you might want to pick up an expansion with it. But I would say it's a definite buy game. What helps though with the um, with the cards is also when you put in a blind card. Remember we did that a couple yeah, times? Yeah, if you're playing uh, smaller tables, if you're only playing three people, when you play a card, you'll know which one is yours, so you have a 50-50 chance of guessing which card is played by the host. So what you do is you'll put blind cards in from the pile, so this way it's a nice little random factor. Yeah, I would definitely, um, especially for the abstract factor, you can pick up the first Dixit, um, but I, if you're going to pick up anyone, I would say jump right ahead and pick up um, Dixit Journey. Um, I just re- the artwork isn't abstract, isn't as abstract, so the gameplay does suffer a little bit. But the artwork is amazing, and it's definitely something. Um, it really challenges your imagination to find something to come up with again and again. Yeah, um, I'm gonna say buy it. I don't own it yet, but I will eventually. I think it'd be fun. 
And uh, I also think you should uh, put money down on it. Because that's the only way to play. <laughs> well, you can buy it with your winnings that, yeah. <laughs> that you won a myriad. And you beat a lot of people, too. It was 18 players. It was a big tournament, game. yeah. Not yeah. like some people who won two games and came in second and didn't get to play the final round because of Aww. strange funny Was that you? That was me. It was I'm this so guy. Sorry. I know. But, you know, as we said, we definitely one of the rules for tournaments, if you want to win, don't own the game. I'm set on Seven Wonders. I'm set. <laughs> I don't want to play with you now. <laughs> you just win too much. I think it's... I played it too many times, though. I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely... Um, it's it's something that, you know, you can play with little kids to old adults, and uh, everyone's going to kind of take it from the start. Especially, it's funny when someone makes some random clue and you're able to pick it out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys, we're going to jump to the next game. Uh, that was Dixit. I think it's pretty unanimous there. Good game. Um, we're going to talk about Gloom, which is a very unique sort of card game, kind of counterintuitive, looks different, plays different, at least at first. Um, I haven't played this in a little bit, so I'm going to let someone else start. Uh, I'll give you guys a quick rundown. Basically, Gloom is a, it's a card game that's meant to be played in a storytelling aspect where you have a family of five people and you want to inflict as many miserable events on them as possible before killing them. Because only your dead members are worth points at the end of the game. So you'll have it where um, they get left at the altar, they suffer some type of sickness, and then you're going to be one by one trying to eliminate your own family. Um, you can play cards against your adversaries and such. Like There is like the gotcha cards where you'll steal two cards from them or force them to pass a turn or such like that. Um, the storytelling elements, the first time or two you play the game is kind of fun, where you're like, oh, he was going through the jungle and he got uh, savaged by a bobcat. But then when your next card played is that he drowned in the ocean, <laughs> you're like, and, and the cat dragged him off to the beach and <laughs> held his head underwater or something. So, um, so the downside is the storytelling starts to fade, and after like 30, 45 minutes of playing Gloom, if you're playing a, a four or five player game, it's like, yeah, 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 uh, he got killed by an axe. And you're just dropping the card on him, not caring anymore. Um, it, does, like, it is an interesting playstyle. It has some nice mechanics, but sometimes it feels like it drags on a little too long. And the fun that you get in the beginning of the game, by like the halfway point, you're just like, can somebody just end this game? Like, please stop stopping me from killing my people. Just end it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you say that, because if the only time I played it, that's kind of how I felt about halfway through the game. And I don't, I don't have a problem with role-playing. Some people don't want to do it in games. I like it. I think it's fun. But in this case, it was just like, well, A, it's depressing. I don't like thinking of creative ways to kill your characters. B, like you said, like the theme gets old. And C, if someone's not paying attention, which is very common when it's not your turn, you know, you're checking your phone or you're talking to somebody, it's in a game store, um, you, you feel like you're talking to a wall, and then, then you stop. Yeah, you're like, hey, you get hit by an axe. I don't care. And when you get to that point, the game is kind of bland. I don't think there's a lot going on there. The cards are interesting because they're transparent. So whenever you put something that's like, oh, uh, he gets hit by an axe, you'll see the circles with uh, the negative points. And then say, like, you know, drowned by a bobcat. You put that on, that might um, take away the minus 20 from the axe and put in a minus 10. So it's whatever the cards on top gets added to the score. The artwork is, like, nice, but the game, yeah, it just kind of just fades out. Yeah, the each each family, I think it is, the each kind of um, color has its own little family. 
Um, and they have a little bit of a different story, different little bit makeup. And as Kim said, like the translucent kind of plastic cards. So you have the family members and you try to kill the family members off and you want to have the lowest score possible. So you always want to have minuses and not pluses where other people can play a plus, you know, a helpful card like you, know, you, you get married yes plus 20 points where... <laughs> yeah. and you curse them i don't want to be married <laughs> yeah so actually i played the you know um first time playing this game i won the game pretty quickly i think i ended the pretty game um um so it's okay it's nice to look at it's it's an inventive idea it's imaginative but it does as anthony was saying rely a lot on everyone wanting to role play and get into it, and it is a little grim, as they say. And one thing is, uh, I mean, you know, you talked about how you didn't like the art in Summoner Wars too much, which yeah. I don't know, man, I, I can't even think of what any card looked like, but, you know, it's not the worst. But um, <laughs> with Gloom, there is no artwork. Every The cards are transparent, so you get the picture of your main character, and then everything you stab on top of them is just text and text and text. And there's flavor text, but, you know... Eventually, you start looking at those minuses. Like, you don't care if the story is great. You're like, oh, this is minus 40 points. This is what I need to win. Sure. So you stop storytelling and start, like, number crunching. Yeah. I love the components. I just wish it was for something better. Like, if somehow they can put, like, that, you know, uh, transparency stacking measure in, like, Rune Wars or Descent or something where, like, you know, your character can evolve in stats on a stacking layer, that would be great. But for this game, it just feels... Yeah. Like a great idea put to a bad purpose. Yeah, those clear cards would be kind of awesome for like Game of Thrones where you have some buffs. Oh, and, like, yeah, perfect. You know, debuffs yeah. and you're trying to keep track of everything. And someone else wants to know what your points are and like, I don't even know. I have to add them all up. And every round you have to add them all up. In this game, it's, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they had a lot of good ideas. The game itself gets dull a little quickly. I mean, the, the kind of the basic art on the family cards is cool. Like Edward Gorey style looks mm. kind of cool. That gothic Victorian look. Yeah, but this Dan was saying, like, other than that, which is really interesting to see, you're spending the next 30 minutes just looking at mm -hmm. play. And your hand of cards, which give you bonuses which are negative or mess with the other people, which are positive, um, you're just looking at basically a bunch of clear cards with a little symbol or a little number on it. I think it would make the game a little bit more interesting, even though it's like a little thing, because I'm just all about how it looks, is if the card that you put on top of the family member changes the face. So if he was attacked by somebody, you seem like kind of bruised up or something, or like, you know, if they got married, they'll like just put on like a veil and stuff like that. Like if they had stuff like that, maybe it'd be a little bit more interesting. There's some type of art, just something to see when you're playing. Yeah, that would have been great. I would like to see that game. Yeah, something to spice it up. All right guys, so what do you think overall? Um, For me, I mean, when we're at the game store and somebody pulls us out, um, I'm probably not just thinking dodge. I'm thinking burning this because I really don't want to see this come out. I think it just ends up being a disappointing game. Um, I know they have multiple expansions. They have a Cthulhu expansion to it, too. Um, but I'd rather not see it anywhere near the table so we can play much, much more fun games with better components. Yeah, I'm going to say burn it, too. Even though we own it, because I just had to get it because of the way it looked. But after playing it, I, I kind of regret it. I'm sorry, Dan. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's one of the few purchases I regret. Um, I would say play it one time so you can be like, 
Yeah, Gloom, I know that game. <laughs> and then uh, and then just burn it, you know. And since the cards are plastic, you get a nice little melty pile. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gas yourself. You can become part of the game. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> and, and that would be how all the family members meet their end. Yeah. <laughs> and they were all melted. <laughs> to a ball of wax. Yeah, I don't know if I'd quite burn it, but I'm definitely on the dodge side of things. I played it once. I'd probably play it again if it came out, but I definitely wouldn't buy it. Probably wouldn't want to play it after that. So, that is uh, gloom. It's gloomy. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. So that's all. Everything that was at our table this week. Um, next up, we're going to have a more thorough review of a brand new game that you're probably watching and wondering if it's worth the huge investment on. Um, it's called Crossmaster Arena. And now for the feature review, Crossmaster Arena. So Dan and Kim have this game. They purchased it and uh, have opened it and played it, and uh, they're going to tell us all about it. All right. Uh, it's a miniature combat game. It goes from two to four players, and it has eight characters in the box. They vary from different styles. Like uh, you can have some that are more equipped with range. Others are more like up close punching. Um, there are ones that can summon creatures next to you, and then you can move those as single characters. Um, each character has three stats. You got movement, HP, and AP. AP is action points. That's what you use to attack, or um, when you're playing the base game, you pick up coins. And those coins, you can buy more special abilities that will either give you plus HP, AP, or it will give you more damage you can do. Um, basically what you do is you have this board and it's like a grid. And you only move adjacent. So like Summoner Wars, you move either backwards or sideways and forwards. You can't move diagonally. You can use diagonally for line of sight, but when you do an arrange attack, you have to count adjacent. Now, I know sometimes people get confused with adjacent, you know, it's like next to them, so if you're diagonal, it's adjacent, but that's not the case with this. So, um, we did a two-player game. So, with the two-player game, what you do is you pick four characters, you can either draft them, pick them randomly, or if you have any favorites, you guys can compromise and pick, okay, I want this one, and you can have this one, but I want this one. Um... So, and then you create a timeline. So, the first player, who, um, how you, however, who wants to go first, what you do is, with your timeline, you go all in one shot. So, all the four characters you pick, the first one in the beginning of your timeline goes first. And then the second person goes, and then the third. Um, same thing with the second character, uh, second player. They also have the timeline, and then they go in. Uh, they go in uh, turn. Um, also, when you begin the game, what you do is you roll two dice, and it's a tension roll. So if you guys got the same symbol on the dice, you have to give up these GG tokens. What do they call them? Gallons of glory. Gallons of glory, yeah. The Gallons of Glory. If you lose all your Gallons of Glory, that's it. You're, th the game is done. Um, uh, what are some of the... the 
symbols on the dice? Um, you have, you're using a basic six-sided dice. You have a magnet that is used to help grapple. Whenever you're adjacent to somebody and they try to run away, your character actually has a chance to just grab them, keeping them put. There's To counteract that, there is a boot for dodging, where when somebody does successfully grapple you, you have to roll one of those to escape. There is a burst symbol that is used for critical hits, where when you attack, you would roll that, and every time you get a critical symbol, you're doing plus one damage. There's the shield symbol, which you need to block. And then one other dice side is both the boot and the burst symbol to increase your chances of critical. And then there's the wild symbol that allows you to choose any side of the dice as its function for result. And that's that S shape that almost looks like Superman. Almost. Yeah. So um, how a turn goes is the first player that you pick. So we have um, an example here, Queen of the Tofus. So say Queen of the Tofus go first. She has four MP. Now, um, I forgot to mention this before, I'm sorry. MP is movement. So that's how much you spend to move your character. So she has 4 MP. Now, the good thing about this game, it's not a move and then attack or attack and then move. You can move, attack, and then move again. That way, if you want to get close to your character, uh, an opponent, you can attack them and then move away as a retreat. That way... If their movement is less than yours, they won't be able to hit you. So you have the movement, and you each one has different spells. For Queen of the Tofus, there's a Dan to Tofu, which is a range attack, and it costs three AP. Um, any AP that is left at the end, say you have like two AP left, and there's no spell that costs two two AP you lose it immediately. You can't spend it to something else or add it to your next turn. Um, and what you do is you roll the dice, and like Dan said, if you get a burst symbol or... Was it a boot? Uh, the boots to escape grapples. Boots to, oh, so it's just the burst. The burst symbol helps on the attacks. Yes, and also if you get an S, you can change that into a burst symbol. Um... With the range attacks, they'll tell you it could be either from 1 to 3, 2 to 3, or like 3 to 8. Uh, one of the characters that I think is Beast is Bill Tell. He has a range from 3 to 8, and it's called Plague Arrows. But he also has this additional spell that does plus 3 max range. So you can shoot somebody from 11 squares away. But the only thing is... You can't have any trees in the path of line of sight. Bushes, you can see, obviously. But if you have trees, crates, or if there's another character, you can't shoot that, that through that character. Even if it's like a little summoner token. Because like I know some people get confused. Well, it's just a little token. Of course, I can shoot over it. Mm. Uh, the token just counts as a character. Uh, the tokens, you can like those and the crates, you can actually shoot over. You can't stand on the same square, but you can move around. Like, you have to move around them, but you can shoot over them. They're considered, like, small things. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. That was good to know. So what does the board look like? You know, trees and bushes and stuff. I know it's kind of three-dimensional. What are we looking at? 
Yeah. Um, Size-wise, and then, like, what's popping out of it? The board is, it's pretty much like a standard-sized game board where it's square-based hexes, like, almost akin to, um, like, a Heroclix or D&D board. What's nice about it is um, the board is double-sided right out of the gate. And one side has more dangerous elements, like there's lava flows and everything like that. The other side is more basic. And across the board, you'll see symbols for crates and trees. They do come with like three-dimensional pop-outs that you'll assemble on your own to make the terrain. So it does look great. And the miniatures are, like Kim said, they're chibi style. So the board, when you're looking at it, is very cute. And when Kim was like, I want to get this game, and she set it up, and she wanted to play... I was looking at it, I was like, oh, great, this is going to be adorable. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. And the thing that really wowed me is this game is an intense strategic battle game. It's a lot more than the visuals led on to be. Mm-hmm. As Kim mentioned before, the Gallons of Glory, you start the game with six when you play a player versus player match. Now, you'll have a team of four people. Everyone in the starter set is level three to keep it the same but when you buy expansions people can be anywhere from level one to six every time you beat an opponent's characters you get that many gallons of glory and points equal to their level so if somebody plays a beast team of level six people that's their choice but the problem is one guy dies that's it they're out of the game because you'll take all six points um the other thing that's really interesting is kim mentioned the timeline where you figure you're just choosing four people on your team, it doesn't make a difference. You lay them out, you'll just do whatever. You'll be amazed as to where somebody's spot on the timeline can vastly modify your tactics. Take, for example, one of the characters has an option that when they attack, it's only a range of one additional square past melee, but you switch spots with the enemy. Having him in the beginning of your timeline lets you run up to an enemy, switch spots, and now everyone on your backline gets a shot in as well. Likewise, having your healer last on the timeline is really useful because you want to position her in a spot where she can heal up people at about three squares away. And you're going to be planning this out based not just on the battlefield, but your choice of the timeline. Like, your very first game, you can find out that you made a huge mistake because you wrote it off as being such a simple game. Hmm. So are we build- are you building out a team, or is it random? Um, you have multiple Which... options. You can draft it, you can randomize it, or you can you know pick and have pre-assembled. You can like, make a level limit as to what your team will be. The other thing that's interesting about this game is, um, again, like you know, base looks, it seems very simple, but on the battlefield, there's comma coins. And when you move on these, you spend one action point to pick up these coins. As you're accumulating them, there's demon gates that you can go in and you can buy items to upgrade your character. And they range from a three-point to a six-point and then a 12-point item. And the three-point items might be uh, one attack, you get to do plus two damage. Or you get one extra movement point for the turn. On the 12-point items, you'll get items that stay on your character They give bonus hit point, bonus move, bonus action points. They really beef up your character, and it's for the entire duration of the battle. Or if you get a one-use item, you might get something that heals 10 hit points of damage. Most of the characters have anywhere from 8 to 12. So healing 10 damage is basically like getting your character revitalized from the beginning of the game right on the spot. So there's a huge swing of of, tide of power in this game where you'll feel like you're doing well, your opponent can buy one item, 
heal up three of his guys, or even in one case uh, with Kim, I had an item that gave me three action points. My character's attack was only three action points. So being able to swing three times in the same turn was a tremendous tie turner. And so what comes in the uh, main box? In the main box, you get um, about eight trees, eight hedges, multiple crates. So that's a lot of chits and assembly. You get a slew of damage counters, comma coins. There's modifiers that will increase or decrease your movement and your action points. So they give you tokens for all that. Eight of the dice, the board, and eight of the characters. That's a lot. And uh, I know this thing launched with way too many expansions already out of the box. How many... Like, if you went out and bought everything, what are you looking at? Um, you're looking at probably about... Well, the expansions are 28 apiece, so you're looking at about $82 on that or so, give or take, and then the base game for 80 I remember so. seeing this on Kickstarter, and, I mean, just the chibis themselves. I mean, we're not looking at game components anymore. These are toys. These are really high-quality, good crafted um, miniatures that, uh, you know, you would think you would see in Toys R Us. And uh, it had a really successful Kickstarter, and it was a dangerous Kickstarter because, <laughs> you know, you want to pick up the, the main game, and you get a couple of characters, and then they show you all the expansions with all the different characters. And, and, hey, you know what? The terrain upgrades, too. And you can get terrain that's the same quality as the miniatures. And exactly. That sounds great. Even the token chips, they have... Miniatures for the bombs, miniature for the um, the tofus, miniatures for the gobble creatures. Like um, that's see that's the thing about this game that really surprised me too. Like after you mentioned it, I looked on the Kickstarter, and I see what they have on the horizon. The only thing that is kind of a, a hindrance to me, I guess you can say, is that you can only play so many of them at the same time. Mm. So. Just like how magic players generally find their color or their style and they just look to get cards for that deck. Sure. I can see this as a game where if you play with multiple people, you can be like, hey, how about we each just chip in eight bucks, buy that expansion, I get dibs on the fire knight, you get the water knight, he'll take this character. Things like that. Yeah. Like you don't need all of them at once. No, I think you need all of them at once. <laughs> that can happen too, yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely it has to feel like you want to have them all at once. I think... Um, if you did purchase everything on Kickstarter, it was five hundred dollars, and that came with all of the upgrades, and it's really high quality. Um, surprise! The card artwork is beautiful. The card stock seems a little thin, which is kind of surprising considering how well crafted the uh, the miniatures are. But uh, it's beautiful artwork, really cute. Um, Looks definitely fun to play. One thing I'll also note is, um, one thing that was enjoyable about this is the instruction booklet itself actually has maps for you to play on for tutorials. And I'm going to definitely recommend that people play through those tutorials. When Kim and I played our first full game against each other, I only played two of the tutorials. So I was like, oh, I got this. How hard can it be? Yeah. Then you find out things like the symbols on the attacks, if it's red... Like, if it has a red arrow, it can't be upgraded by certain gear. And if a attack has a red border, you can only use it once per game, <laughs> not as often as you wish. That, um, based on how terrain works, if you stand on top of crates, you get enhanced vision and view. And the range of your spells with range go up by one. But melee never modifies by these numbers. Mm. Like I said, it's 
it's almost kind of like when you look at this game, you can think about it as like my first miniature tactical game <laughs> as opposed to cutesy chivets, this is going to be fun and adorable game. Um, and when Kim and I played, I felt bad because uh, I felt like that, you know, that cutthroat moment where one of our guys got a little close and I did that bait and switch attack where basically you're going to swap spots with your opponent and then she just got swarmed. There was nowhere for her to go. And I felt really bad about it until I got those gallons of glory points. And then I didn't feel so bad anymore because like, now I'm winning. This is okay. The game reminds me a little bit. I don't know if you played the video game League of Legends. So Slightly, it's, yeah. It's a, it comes from um, Warcraft 3. had a, a mod which was um, def- uh, Defense of the Ancients or Dota as it's also known. So you have these really interesting cute characters on this small forest board and looks really cute, looks really innocent, and you play, and it's highly tactical, and it has that kind of feel to it, too. Yeah, definitely. It looks like the kind of game that uh, you could definitely, like, accidentally stumble into if it wasn't for the price. Like, oh, this looks cute, and you're like, ooh. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's definitely selling a lot faster than anticipated. The price is seventy nine ninety nine retail. You'll find it cheaper online, but the expansions are 28 retail. They were selling for 20 online, and all the sites have them back to 28 because they just can't keep them on the shelves. This game is flying quick, so it is wow. definitely gaining a lot of popularity. It's really unique. I mean, it kind of reminds me, not directly, cause, I mean, I haven't played this one, but like the style kind of accessibility, like Super Dungeon Fighter or uh, Super, Super Dungeon, Dungeon Explorer. Explorer. That's right. And but it's, you don't have to glue these pieces together. No, it's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. these are just, you can put these on your shelf when you're not playing it and just exactly, have yeah. them there as a. And the fact that they're fully assembled, painted, they do do a lot of reskinning. You'll look at some of the miniatures, like in one expansion pack alone, the Fire Knight and the Water Knight, they're the exact same miniature, just different colors. It's yeah, kind of a little dissuading, but I mean, you know, there's some of them have minute differences where it's like, I'm the exact same guy, but I have a different mask or I'm holding a different teddy bear or whatever it may be. Yeah, I was disappointed to see that. It seems like they put so much effort into the game. You know, maybe one or two you can deal with a Ryu and a Ken, but it seemed like a lot of reskinning for yeah. a, a game at this expense. This game has Ryu, Ken, Dan, Akuma. <laughs> yeah. so. The different uniforms for each of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So, well, I mean, obviously you like it, but how was that first game? You guys play once? Or? We played one full game. One full game. So. And the tutorials. How'd you like it? Um, I liked it a lot. It was It's definitely a must-own, but uh, it's one of those games where you have to save up to play because it, you're going to be dropping a lot of money on it. You know, Sotokosu, who was your favorite character that you got to use so far in the game? Uh, I didn't get to use her. I want to use the pixie, but you picked her because she has healing. Little healing? <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, strategy tips for uh, playing the game? From your one game? Um, I would definitely say try to choose one person that you know you can get a few rounds of this game in with. Because the first game, somebody will probably get demolished. And they won't fully understand why. Use the same characters and just change your timeline. Mm -hmm. And just look into exploring a little more about maybe the first game you didn't really buy any items. Focus on getting those coins and buying those items. Try out a couple of different tactics because... It does have that really deep, deep level that you cannot anticipate looking at it. Yeah. How, how long is each game? Our game is like about an hour, I would say. Our full yeah. game. That's not too bad. 
Yeah, and once you get the hang of it, um, it can easily be a 45-minute game, and it might become almost like a two-hour game if you're both incredibly good and chess-playing it, where you're strategically moving four turns in advance as to where you want to end up for endgame. All right, but, so uh, positive we like this game. Oh, absolutely. It sounds like something I want to play. Um, I've, you know, It just came out a couple weeks ago. You guys just picked it up. You played it once. I saw it on the shelf. It looked great, but... Yeah, you definitely want to check out uh, Kim's um, unboxing of this game on our YouTube channel. So check out... Um, yeah, yeah. if you want to take a look at what's in the box, you know, you heard everything described, but you really have to see it. Like, this is not typical game components. These guys went way above and beyond. You know, I'm still, like, I'm looking here at one of these expansion packs, and uh, these things look just amazing. So it's, you know, I could see people just buying these off the shelf, not realizing they're for a game. Just yeah, like, like I these said, are nice the, toys. And like I mentioned, the uh, Kickstarter. What was funny was, you did see they had to constantly open um, new levels because people were buying out all the components that quickly. Wow. So yeah, uh, check out Kim's video. Uh, pick up the game when you can afford it. Um, <laughs> definitely try out the uh, tutorials and stuff before you dump all the money on it. But uh, this is uh, if you like those kind of miniature games. It sounds like, you know. Yeah. Oh, and one other side bonus is um. They actually have a code on the instruction booklet and on each expansion pack that you buy to have the adventure continue online. That's right. They have an online game. What was that? Have you played it? I haven't checked it yet because uh, I don't have the two hours that I know that I'll instantly <laughs> pour into playing online because I figure that'll be the spot where you really start to pick up on strategies. Yeah, yeah, quickly. Yeah. So, so be careful if you see somebody coming in with a metal case and battle foam and pulls out their oh, crossmasters yeah. like... But this is for kids, and they just throwing cash at the table because now you're in trouble. They're wearing yeah. a hat akin to the queen of the tofu's. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't feel like I could be totally serious saying queen of the tofu. It's a, I play my queen of the tofu. It's hard to say laughing. my tofu attacks you, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and things like that. But yeah, like I said, it's you know I think maybe the cutesiness is what's going to get a lot more people to try the game. Mm -hmm. Um. It could be disparaging if you get destroyed. So if you're playing against somebody and you know what you're doing, you might have to go a little easy on them for their intro game. Oh, and one other thing that is nice for the expansions too is a way to pick up some strategies. They give you additional maps that you can play one player or two player co-op. That's pretty cool. Quick, good learning method. Exactly, and it gives you some difficulty challenges to try to not just beat the board, but try to beat it with these additional objectives. So it's pretty fun for that alone. It's nice to be able to work together instead of just constantly pounding on each other and trying to get victory. Awesome. All right, there, there you have it. Uh, Crossmaster Arena is uh, brand new. It's out. If you are in, on Staten Island, stop by your uh, local Myriad and see if they have a copy of um, Or to play with Dan and Kim, who will probably gladly show you how to play. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, guys. That is uh, everything we have for this week's podcast. Um we have now the website set up, uh, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. We have a Facebook page. Uh, I think it's just Facebook.com slash BoardGamersAnonymous. We have a Twitter handle, which uh, I think it's... I don't remember. But it probably has something to do with Board, board Gamers, Gamers Anonymous. I bet you search for that, probably. It's empty, so, you know. <laughs> It'll be posted on every other site. Uh, and then the YouTube channel. Again, search for Board Gamers Anonymous on YouTube and uh, check out Kim's unboxing video. And other unboxing videos from Myriad Games. Yeah, we'll also have an unboxing video for, uh, as we said earlier, Star Trek Attack Wing and Cosmic Encounter.
right. Yeah, so definitely check all that out. If you have questions, uh, if you're listening and should have questions because we talked about a lot, um, send me an email, anthony at boardgamersanonymous.com or you know, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you are at the time, and uh, we'll read them, answer them on the podcast because that's easy content. All right, guys. So uh, I'm Anthony. I'm Chris. I'm Kim. And I'm Dan. And we'll talk to you uh, next time. Take care.